0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, good afternoon and welcome to Washington Watch. So glad you have tuned in. Jody Heiss is normally here on Fridays filling in for me, but today I'm filling in for him. Well, coming up on this Friday edition, leftist Democrats have been riled up over yesterday's unexpected announcement by President Biden that he will sign a GOP-led resolution to repeal radical changes to the District of Columbia's criminal code.
2: The D.C. Council put changes forward over the mayor's objections, and the president doesn't support changes like lowering penalties for carjacking. So this piece is different. One thing that the president believes in is making sure that the streets in America and communities across the country are safe. That
3: includes D.C.
1: Yeah, I'm speechless. I mean, this comes from the administration, defund the police, uh, you know, turn your head at the, those burning city streets. Well, that was the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, yesterday explaining the president's decision. Now, I believe is this a sign that some Democrats may be coming to their senses when it comes to soft on crime policies or or. Could it be they're trying to avoid a fate similar to that of the Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot, who lost her bid for a second term this week after crime incidents jumped 41 percent last year and 33 percent since 2019, the year that she took office? I'm going to talk about this with uh, Congressman Andrew Clyde of Georgia, who is the sponsor of this Republican led resolution that President Biden is now supporting. You know, I think it's, it comes down to the Democrats want to get tough on crime when it becomes personal. And we've seen, actually, a number of members of Congress and their staffs in D.C. have been the victims of crime. The city is out of control, as are many major cities across the country. Well, speaking of mayors and surprises, remarks given by New York City Mayor Eric Adams earlier this week has left the uh, the left... Quite frankly, in a tizzy. Don't well, tell me about no
4: separation of church and state. State is the body. Church is the heart. You take the heart out of the body, the body dies. <laughs> I can't separate my belief because I'm a elected official.
1: It's a Democratic mayor, uh, we didn't get a chance to discuss this yesterday, so we are going to talk about it today with uh, Ariel Del Turco assistant director for FRC Center for Religious Liberty, and with Pastor Carter Conlon, a member of the FRC board and the general overseer of Times Square Church in Manhattan. And while many on the left love to claim that the U.S.'s constitution provides a wall of separation between church and state, what they really want is to keep God out of our government and Christians far away.
5: At some point, we need to get real with ourselves and take a look at who we're making legal contracts with and the message that that is sending to our community because that makes me feel like I could not be safe in this, in this school district.
1: Now, that was uh, school board member Tamelia Venezuela from Arizona's Washington Elementary School District during a meeting last month opposing an agreement that brought in educators from Arizona Christian University. She was opposed to that because they were Christian. Now, for those that are watching the program, she was the one wearing the cat ears. So should Christians not be allowed in to the public square unless they check their faith and biblical worldview at the door? Are only secular and humanist worldviews welcomed and embraced in our society? We're going to talk about that a little bit later because this is an important question. Meanwhile, in Georgia, a school district there has learned the hard way some lessons on the Constitution after they tried to ban mothers from attending meetings and reading from library books containing sexually explicit materials that was given to the kids. I'll uh, I'll talk with one of those mama bears about that a little later here on Washington Watch. So a lot of uh, great topics today. You won't want to miss it, but if you do, if you do, if you miss any part of it, you can find it all later at TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there For You You can also find out details and action items for this show on that website. So be sure and check it out, TonyPerkins.com. It was back in January when the District of Columbia, the city council, unanimously passed a crime bill that even Washington Democrats' mayor, Mayor Bowser, opposed, saying that it does not make us safer. I can tell you, D.C. has changed a lot in the, the last few years, and it's, uh, at one point it was a pretty safe city. But uh, with the left's embrace of lawlessness, it just seems to be getting worse. Well, in response to the lawless council of the District of Columbia, uh, Congressman Andrew Clyde of Georgia introduced a resolution of disapproval, which is the, the role of Congress, to block the D.C. Council's dangerous rewrite of Washington's criminal code. As expected, it passed the House last month with 173 Democrats opposing it. But surprisingly, President Biden announced yesterday his support for the resolution, saying that he will sign it if it passes the Senate. So what can we make of this development? Joining us now by phone is Congressman Andrew Clyde. He serves on the House Appropriations Committee and represents Georgia's ninth congressional district. Congressman, welcome back to the program.
6: Well, thank you very much, Tony. I appreciate being on Washington Watch.
1: Well, and by the way, congratulations on being a true blue member of Congress. Uh, we appreciate you coming by <laughs> uh, the headquarters this week and uh, receiving your award. We appreciate you standing firm for faith, family, and freedom.
6: Well, thank you for that. Uh, it was an honor to receive that award. Uh, faith, family, and freedom is what it's all about. And we, as as constitutional conservatives, have to stand up for those values, uh, or no one else will, I think. And so um, uh, it was an honor to receive that award. Thank you.
1: Congressman, before we uh, talk about the president's announcement, surprise announcement yesterday, give uh, give our listeners and our viewers a little background on exactly what the D.C. City Council did that you're trying to undo.
6: Well, it uh, bothered me very much uh, back in November of last year when the city council unanimously approved a new criminal code, the Revised Criminal Code Act, which uh, reduces maximum sentences for violent crime in Washington, D.C., for robberies and carjackings, for home invasions, for burglaries, for assaults. Uh, and it's incredible that they would want to do this when crime is on the rise in D.C., you're seeing homicides have increased 29 percent compared to last year. Uh, I mean, sexual abuse is up 143 percent. Motor vehicle theft, theft is up 90 percent compared to February of last year, and DC is on pace to have the most homicides since 1995, with with 203 of them last
1: year. Uh, now, so Congressman, can I can I interject? Can, can I yeah. interject something there just to give a little context? Unlike Many states like your home state of uh, of Georgia, like my home state of Louisiana, citizens really don't have the ability to protect themselves either because of uh, D.C.'s strict gun control laws. It's almost impossible to, uh, to possess a firearm in the District of Columbia.
6: Oh, and you're absolutely correct about that. That's what the Heller decision was about in 2008, when DC literally banned people from owning firearms whatsoever in the city. So they had no ability to protect themselves. And now the DC, you know, council wants to make it even easier for criminals to commit crimes by reducing their sentences. Uh, so I absolutely, it's, it's imperative that we take down this this uh, law from the council. And Congress has the authority to do it, Tony. I mean, Article right. One, Explain, Section 8, it, Clause it, 17.
1: Right. Explain that because most people are not familiar with the fact that uh, being the District of Columbia, it's the federal city, Congress has oversight of the city of Washington, D.C.
6: That is correct. And in the Constitution, it gives Congress not just the authority, but it gives Congress... The responsibility over the federal city, and that's Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, which says that Congress has exclusive legislative authority over the city, and we are exercising that authority when we see that those uh, uh, the, the local D.C. government is not doing things that make D.C. more safe. And that's exactly what the mayor said when she vetoed this. She said, this bill does not make us safer. And so Congress has to come in and, uh, and and veto this particular legislation.
1: So, Congressman Clyde, now I want to move to what the president had to say yesterday. Were you surprised by the president's announcement uh, supporting your resolution?
6: Well, I was pleasantly surprised and actually very encouraged because I think uh, President Biden is actually seeing uh, you know, what needs to be done here, obviously, you've got some politics in play. You've got this, some uh, senators in vulnerable seats that um, uh, that are up for reelection, and they don't want to be voting against a, uh, a bill that, uh, that would make uh, the Washington, the city of D.C., more safe. They don't want to be seen as soft on crime. And so they want to be able to support this, and they can do that better if the president's willing to support it. So I think uh, we're up to about 54 or 55 now senators that uh, have voiced that they're going to support this bill, and I'm greatly encouraged by that.
1: I would think, Congressman Clyde, that with what we've seen, as I mentioned at the top of the program, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, uh, getting about, I think, 18 percent, 17, 18 percent of the vote in her bid for a second term. I mean, that's being trounced. First time that's happened in 40 years in the city of Chicago. This issue of, of crime, the issue of uh, protection, public safety has become a big issue with voters. And Democrats have been on the wrong side of this. So, you know, I don't know if it's a, if, if they've seen the light or they're feeling the heat. But but I, I, I do think they're listening.
6: Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they're certainly feeling the heat I mean, even the D.C. Police Union has said this law, once enacted, will lead to violent crime rates exploding even more than they already have. And, you know, this city is for all of America. That means our our constituents are coming to D.C. to visit us in Washington and they need to feel safe while doing that. And so it's our responsibility. And so here we are acting on it. And it's a promise made that um, and a promise kept. That, uh, well, that we are uh, pro-law enforcement and we're going to uh, pass laws that make our, our people and our city safer.
1: Well, you may end up having the first Republican measure of the 118th Congress signed by uh, President Biden, so I commend you on that. But very quickly, before we run out of time, I want to switch gears to from the lawlessness in D.C. to the lawlessness uh, on our southern border. We've already surpassed the $1 million mark for uh, fiscal year 2023. What's your reaction to this? Is the Biden administration, do you think they'll turn their attention to that lawlessness?
6: Well, I I, uh, I hope they will. Uh, I'm an eternal optimist. Uh, I'm not confident in, at all that they will do that. They have been on this path of uh, open borders for the last over two years, and I don't think they're going to um, uh, to deviate from that path. But it's now up to the Republicans, the Republican majority in Congress, to use our um, uh, power of the purse to change that path. Because America has to have a secure border. We don't have a secure country. And you've heard that time after time. You don't have a secure country without secure borders. Right now, we don't have a secure southern border. So it's yeah. something that we as
1: Republicans will have to take on. And it is it is fueling lawlessness just by not enforcing the law. But we have a lot uh, leaning toward the criminal element coming across that border. Certainly, we've got the drugs coming across as well. Congressman Andrew Clyde, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday. Well, thank
6: you very much for uh, Washington Watch. You guys do great work.
1: Well, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, a school district in Arizona stopped working with and bringing in people from a Christian university, actually our friends out there, Uh, Arizona Christian University, because the school community might not feel safe having any connections with an institution that seeks to influence people to be biblically minded. Wow, that's in the United States of America. We're going to talk about that after the break. Don't go away.
0: More Washington Watch ahead. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible.
7: Learn more at FRC.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this uh, Friday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. By the way, for those of you who signed the Newsmax uh, petition that we were sending to DirecTV uh, we've communicated, the tens of thousands of those that we've received, uh, to DirecTV, and we're going to keep the pressure on. Next, we're going to be calling on Congress, so I'll have more about this next week, to do hearings. Uh, I believe there's uh, enough information here to suggest that there's more government collusion in trying to silence certain voices. So stay tuned next week for that. But for today, a school board member at the Washington Elementary School District in Phoenix, Arizona, has been drawing some attention. For stating at a board meeting last month that she opposes working with and bringing in people from a conservative Christian university because that sends a message to others that they might not be safe in the school district. She expressed concern that the university, Arizona Christian, which uh, the president there is a friend of mine, they do great work. And in fact, George Barna, who is a senior fellow here, research uh, at FRC is also associated with Arizona Christian. And she says she's concerned because they have a mission to influence people to be biblically minded. Yeah, yeah, they do. But is that dangerous? Is she saying that Christians should not be allowed to work with public schools unless they drop their biblical view of the world? I mean, are only secular and humanist worldviews welcomed? And those who want to indoctrinate our children and confuse them about their sexual identity, only those can have access to the schools? Well, here to discuss this is Pastor Steve Riggle, senior pastor of Grace Woodlands Church in Texas. You may recall that back in 2014, he was one of five local pastors subpoenaed by Houston's then mayor and uh, told to turn over their sermons that addressed homosexuality or gender identity and her effort to to impose her bathroom policy on the entire state or entire city, rather. Uh, She's the first mayor I've ever known that. Had to subpoena to get a sermon. I mean, most pastors will gladly let you listen to their sermons. But anyway, Pastor Steve, welcome back to Washington Watch.
8: Thank you, Tony. Glad to be with you.
1: Well, you're a pastor who is working to equip your people to influence the community around you there in the woodlands right outside of Houston. Give me your reaction to hearing this school board member saying, oh, we can't allow those Christians in. That makes this place unsafe.
8: Well, when I read that this morning, I, uh, I took about an hour and a half and I sent that to a number of friends and leaders all across the country and to some of the leaders in our own congregation uh, reacting to that uh, because in my judgment, it's time for people to stand up and to push back in a way that makes a difference, and that's by uh, electing people to the school boards who will stand for godly moral values and unelecting people like this.
1: I mean, think about this for a moment. It doesn't take a whole lot of uh, energy to think through the consequences of Christians being cut off from access of these places of public influence are driven away. You know, we hear all the time about the separation of church and state. Really, what these individuals are declaring is they do not want God in government. And quite frankly, they can scream and holler all they want, but God has dominion over everything. And as Christians, we have to, if we're going to follow Christ, we have to walk in concert with him and embrace what he says to be true. And I think By being silent in the face of this hostility, we're acquiescing in actually walking in agreement with the world.
8: Well, we've virtually turned everything over, and now we're trying to get it back. And um, it's, it's really, really important right now that Christians across the country learn that this battle, this moral battle, and it is that. It's not a political battle. It's a moral battle. First of all, is a spiritual battle and Christians need to learn how to pray and churches need to learn how to have a prayer meeting and start praying because these are strongholds that must come down. And secondly, Christians have to engage. Good people need to start running for school boards across this country. If you want to turn mm-hmm. the tide for a generation, you have to take control of the education. Yes, I, I
1: want to go to something you just talked about—the prayer meetings. I know that's very important in your church. That's one of the the main uh, weekly gatherings. Is the it's not just a uh, you know it, it's not just another event. It is a key event—a prayer meeting at your church. Could it be? Because I'm saying there's a there's a, a lot. You were in DC with us recently at our National Day of Prayer and Repentance. You were there. You were a part of that. You prayed. Could it be that actually some of the stuff that's being Surfaced is because we are praying and it is being revealed. Now it comes to us to take responsibility to address what we now know to be the case.
8: I think that's exactly right. I think I think we were asleep at the switch. Uh, uh, there was always some activists, uh, rightly so, standing up, and uh, we, we, we lost so much ground and now, uh, under the effect of that. Of things that are happening for kindergartners and drag queens and things like that. And now we're horrified. And now we're starting to wake up and to push back. And we have stirred up the workings of hell.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. So. With that in mind and with that understanding, it's not a time to shrink back or run. It is a time to make sure, number one, we're standing in the power and the strength of the Lord, but we are fully equipped with the army armor that he's provided. We continue to pray, but we stand our ground and we advance.
8: Yes, I was at our state capitol yesterday in a couple of meetings and I told someone there, I said, look, you, you. What you say or stand for may offend some, but you don't have to be offensive in doing that. You don't have to yell and scream and all of those things, but you do. You must stand up when someone says something that's, that's wrong and or, or, or pressures you to take a position or to acquiesce to certain pronouns, you should stand there and say, right. no, no. No. That's what has to happen. And uh, I think think strategically, across the nation, when it comes to these school boards, we've surrendered a critical place. And so locally, locally right here in the Woodlands, in the last election, we put three new school board members on. We call them the Mama Bears. And we did that because... The school district refused to take school uh, books out of the school library. Yeah, They're not just offensive. They're sexually offensive. Right.
1: Pastor Steve, we're out of time. Going to have to leave it there. Thanks for standing up. Always great to see you. Stick with us, folks. You're Mama welcome.
7: Bear. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully-funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
3: What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Friday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Speaking of mama bears that Pastor Steve Riggle was talking about, a school district in Georgia recently learned a valuable lesson from a group of those conservative moms, those mama bears. You can't stop them from protecting their children. And I am so grateful for that. Well, last month, Forsyth County Schools agreed to pay over $107,000 in legal fees to the group of mothers that they tried to ban from attending board meetings. I'm telling you. See, the left cannot defend their position, so they want to silence. We're seeing this across the board. And they were they were blaming them because the mothers were trying to express concern over library books containing sexually explicit materials and doing so by reading from them. This is what gets me. This ha- is happening all across the country, where parents are getting these books out of the school libraries, taking them and the the school board said, "Oh, you can't read those. It's it's inappropriate." Well, if it's inappropriate for us to read at an adult gathering at a school board, then why is it being provided to our children? Uh, and that's what the mothers wanted to know. And thankfully, the school districts' attempt to silence them failed. Joining me now to talk about this is Cindy Martin, chairwoman of the Mama Bears. Cindy, welcome to Washington Watch.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. All right. So uh, walk
1: us through how all this unfolded, how you got involved in this and and, and, and fill in any blanks that I left.
2: All right. you, You hit it dead on. So the way that we got started was that a friend of mine told me that there were sexually explicit books in our school system. And I did not believe it. So I did the research myself. And lo and behold, yes, there were highly sexualized books in our school system. And I wish I could share some of the book excerpts with you, but that would not be possible um, on, on TV. So they are so sexually explicit. Um, and every time I find another one, it's worse than the one before. So what I decided to do was, um, there were so many of these books, I knew that I could not challenge them on my own. So I put a notice out on social media and I said, are there any other moms out there who would be willing to challenge these books with me? And I had so many moms come forward that we decided to form a group and we just kind of came up with the name Mama Bears. Uh, it stuck. It sounded Right. And so what we first decided to do was go to the school system and share these books with them and say, hey, did you know these are in here? We'd like them removed. And they refused. So we said, okay. Um, we, we asked for an audit so that they could find these books. They refused. Then we asked for a rating system such as we have in the movies or the gaming industry so that parents know what kind of content uh, your child will be exposed to before they are, they said no. And then we finally asked for a separate section in the library, and they said no. So all of our common sense um solutions were rejected. So we said, okay, if they really feel like these books are appropriate for children, then we're just going to go to the school board meeting and expose them and force them, sort of embarrass them, to get these books out. And that's how it got started. We had, this was about a year ago, and we had eight of our fierce mama bears ready to stand up there, be ridiculed, um, and read these book excerpts. And we were silenced. They would not let us proceed. They gaveled us and they said that they were protecting children. Uh, which the room erupted in laughter, right? Because they were not allowing us to read from books that they are giving to our children, but we were not allowed to read them to the adults in the room.
1: Did the irony of that escape them? Did they not realize what they were saying?
2: I think they were more trying to protect themselves, and that's all that they, they could come up with. So, But it didn't, the room erupted in laughter, so the irony definitely hit everybody in the room.
1: So, no, what I happened was, that they, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to say so, um, so yes, they silenced us, they would not let us continue. Some of our mama bears tried to use rhyming words or abbreviations, but it just wasn't coming close to what was in those books. Um, and so we came back the next month, and um, my friend Allison and I said we were going to try again, and that's when they completely shut us down and actually banned Allison, my friend, from further meetings until she apologized to the board and promised she would obey their rules, which meant she had to give up her First Amendment right to free speech. Wow. And she refused. She refused. And so that's how the lawsuit got started.
1: All right. So we, we know you won the lawsuit, but let's talk about because we only got about, about 45 seconds left the end result in children being protected, what's happened?
2: Okay, so, yes. So what this did was this sent a message to school boards across the nation that you cannot silence the parents that you serve. You you must listen to us. And what it also did was send a message across the nation to mama bears and papa bears, continue to stand up, continue to fight. Now we have this free speech um foundation to go forward because we know it's not going to stop at sexually explicit books we have huge sexual agendas coming for our kids and we are going yes. to need the freedom to of speech to protect them going forward
1: cindy can i say thank you for being a mama bear
2: you may it's my pleasure thank you i wouldn't have it thank any other for- way
1: Thank you for being an example, and I hope there are mamas all across this country that will be emboldened to do the same thing. Thanks so much for yes. joining us today.
2: Thank you. It's all for Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Wow, what a wonderful story. See, this is what happens when you've got the courage to stand up. Courage breeds courage. You know, we don't always win, but nine times out of ten, when we're standing for what's right, we prevail. Stand up. Stand up. Hey, don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead as we take a look at New York City.
3: What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
4: With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAN to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAN to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text S-T-A-N-D to 67742. That's STAND to 67742.
7: Are you a university student? Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: He's glad you are with us. The website, TonyBerkins.com. All right, earlier this week at a prayer breakfast, an elected official said these words, I can't separate my belief because I'm an elected official. He also went on to say this.
0: We
4: are bringing our best fight in the ring. We would not have homeless in this city.
5: We would not have a crisis of domestic violence. We would not have children because when we took prayers out of schools, guns came into schools.
1: Now. If that were coming from a mayor of a ruby red city or coming from, you know, a governor of a red state, okay, but no, that's not who that was. That was the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, who, a Democratic mayor. I mean, is that surprising? Uh, Well, many were, and there were many on the left that were upset that he connected Kicking God and prayer out of schools to the guns and violence that came in. Why is that? Well, joining me now to talk about this, Ariel Del Turco, Assistant Director for the Center for Religious Liberty here at the Family Research Council, and co-author of *Heroic Faith: Hope Amid Global Persecution*. Ariel, welcome back to uh, Washington Watch.
4: Good to be with you, Tony.
1: All right. So first, give our viewers and listeners the the context of these remarks made by Mayor Adams.
4: Yeah, so his remarks were given at an interfaith prayer breakfast uh, with uh, religious leaders from different religions as well as uh, local politicians from New York. And I think the frankness with which he spoke about um, the impact of faith on his life and um, in just how he lives and how he makes decisions even in public office really has rattled some leftist activists who are really uh, coming out strongly against him.
1: What I find interesting about this, Ariel, is that his policies are certainly right out of the left's playbook. Um, and he hasn't deviated from the Democrat or the Democratic orthodoxy when it comes to his liberal policies. But just the fact that at a prayer breakfast, he connects connects the problems that we're having in society, the lack of the moral foundation with kicking God and prayer out of our schools, that that has the left all up in arms.
4: Yeah, and I think some of the remarks he made at the prayer breakfast, um, even if, as you suggested, his uh, faith isn't reflected in all of his policies in the way that we would think is appropriate, um, these remarks they're meaningful because it's a real um, policy that he would like to see. He thinks prayers belong in schools. And to the left, that's radical. They want to see faith um, erased from all of public life and pushed out of the public sphere entirely. Uh, I think that's why we see uh, President Biden say that he um, is a faithful Christian, although we would doubt that, and the left doesn't bat an eye. But because he's uh, hinting at a policy that he would like to see changed, the left is mad.
1: And I guess we should underscore the fact that the uh, the city of New York, the schools are a little bit different so that the city council and the mayor actually do have a lot of input into the schools in New York. So if if the mayor there is saying he wants to bring prayer back into the schools, given the desperate situation they are faced with, that's a policy he can actually pursue.
4: Yeah, and I think the mayor is seeing what a lot of American Christians see, that our youth are really hurting and that taking prayer out of schools has not helped our society, hasn't helped our youth. Uh, We're looking at a situation where the CDC reported just a few days ago um, skyrocketing rates of depression and suicidal ideation among teens. And religion and uh, faith in God, it offers uh, meaning, something bigger than themselves for kids to to live for, uh, to behave better for. Um, I think even uh, a secular city like New York, even a Democratic mayor sees uh, the positive that can come out of um, encouraging religion among the youth.
1: Yeah, I think the evidence is overwhelming. We we see that, and certainly we see it. And I know you work uh, with us at FRC on the international religious front. And we see this in societies and countries that embrace religious freedom. They're more stable. Uh, they have a stronger economies. So faith is really uh, central to so much in terms of the prosperity of a nation. Uh, one final question for you, uh, Ariel. You know, those activists on the left, the leftists constantly misuse the phrase separation of church and state. And, and and I think that's a part of what we're hearing, even with the mayor there bringing up prayer at a prayer breakfast, that somehow he's violating the separation of church and straight, uh, state. can you uh, Can you set the record straight on that?
4: Yeah, well, the First Amendment, obviously, it prevents the establishment of an official religion. Uh, but the way that the left likes to read this is that it prevents any display of religion or religiosity or prayer or belief in God at all from the public square, which simply is not true. Uh, so it's a really inappropriate framing, uh, both of separation of church and state and what the Constitution says, but, um also, of his comments of the mayor's comments, uh, which were simply uh, reflecting what a lot of us know to be true uh,
1: one one uh, this will be the final question, but what did he say that you that stuck out most to you?
4: Well, the mayor also mentioned how. Um, he credited God with uh, putting him in his current role as mayor of New York City. I thought that was a rather radical admission uh, today, too, in such a secular society, uh, that he would credit God for that. However, it's not, it's not unusual for Christians. I think you and I would say the same thing about our roles. Uh, But also, it made me think of the American founders and how they often mentioned divine providence. And even in the Declaration of Independence, we have this beautiful phrase where um, when our founders were starting the new nation, uh, they did so with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence.
1: Mm. Ariel, great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: All right. You can find out more about her work by going to uh, TonyBerkins.com and follow the links over. She does some uh, great work for us on the religious liberty front, especially uh, internationally. Well, I want to continue talking about uh, the Big Apple and the mayor's remarks and discuss them with another New Yorker and a pastor. Joining me now for this conversation is Pastor Carter Conlon, General Overseer of Times Square Church in Manhattan. He also serves on. FRC's Board of Directors. Pastor Carter, thanks for joining us today. Tony, it's so great to see you. God bless you. Yeah, and, and good to see you again. You were with us actually yesterday in, in D.C. as you uh, led our uh, monthly chapel service. Great message. Thanks so much for uh, making the time to travel to, uh, to D.C. Oh, it was a, a pleasure to be there. And it's, I, I just
5: love just the openness to the things of God that you have and your staff have. And it just speaks so well of Family Research Council. And uh, I do believe that uh, some great days are ahead
1: for you guys. Well, it's uh, it, it's remarkable to see what God is doing right now. You were also a part of our National Day of Prayer and Repentance that we did on February the 1st. And we've seen a lot of things happen. And in, uh, in the month of February, we've seen the college campuses break out in revival Uh, members of Congress even this week that uh, came to the True Blue award reception commenting on that prayer event and how for some most impactful event they'd ever done in Washington, D.C. And then we see these remarks by the mayor of New York um, connecting the problem in the schools with kicking God and prayer out. I mean, You might get that from, you might expect that in some ruby red city or state, but this is your home city of New York. What do you think about that?
5: Well, for me, it delights me
1: because, first of all, you know,
5: as as the scripture says, the, the heart of kings is in the hand of God, and he turns them any way he wants to turn them. And I spent 10 years in New York City, on the radio, 1010 10 wins the largest listened to secular news station in the country, 13 times a week with one-minute devotionals always ending with the words, it's time to pray. And you have no idea what it did for my heart to, to to hear our mayor actually say those words, it's time to pray. Whether or not he'd ever listened to the radio or maybe somebody handed him a book or I don't know, or it just came out of his mouth. Um, the man is obviously a realist, and he's looking at the school system in New York City, the dysfunctionality, the the high crime rate, uh, the the way the city's uh, streets are starting to just devolve right before our eyes. And uh, I'm just so thankful he has somewhat of a Christian background and he's reaching deep back into his own soul and is wise enough to recognize that the taking of prayer out of the schools is leaving our young generation with a a sense of hopelessness inside. And uh, maybe he can remember in his own life when the Pledge of Allegiance was cited in the classroom and maybe that. People were led in prayer, and there was a strong reasoning between right and wrong and good and evil, according to the Word of God. And he's looking back and saying, so what was the problem with that? Why did we throw that away? What did we think we were going to achieve in doing this, in telling kids there is no God and telling them that there is no eternity, no future, no right, no wrong, no moral, no immoral, taking all that out? What did we think was going to happen? (laughs) <laughs> it's a natural progression of the stupidity of taking God out of society, and and it's it's happened in the past, and it's happening again. And I'm just so thankful that Mayor Adams sees it and had the courage to speak. I hope he doesn't back away. I hope he I hope he goes for this. He said he believes in God. Yeah. I'm
1: I, I'm hopeful, prayerful, but from a historical standpoint, as you point pointed out, we've reached a, a moment of desperation. But You know, in our Bible reading, we're in Jeremiah and just reading through Jeremiah that even those left after the third uh, captive, the third wave of captives were taken back to Babylon. Even those that had seen everything implode around them, they still refused to turn to God and uh, and obey him. And I think what else what else has to happen to America to cause us to turn to God? Because, as you said, our school's have become not places of learning, but places of desperation. Our our children suffering from, uh, you know, these record levels of thoughts of suicide, acts of suicide, drug overdoses. I mean, you see it there in New York, but it's not isolated there. It's all across the country. So maybe there are those that, as you said, the mayor who has a, a background in faith, are being called back to that. And maybe this could be a spark. Maybe this could be a moment.
5: Well, in the book of Acts chapter 27, the people were not interested in the, in the word of God. Uh, the apostle Paul was there. He was trying to warn them about this journey. He said it's going to result in the loss of life. It's going to result in the loss of security. They wouldn't listen. But it says in the book of Acts, when all hope that they would be saved was taken away, then suddenly Paul appears on the deck with with a word of safety, with a word to guide them to a place where they could consider their eternity. In the, in the Old Testament, it's, it's when the people began to cry out to God in the sense where their children were being thrown into the river by Pharaoh. And, they, and God came to Moses and said, I, I heard the cry. So what has to happen in America is, is we've got to come back to a dose of reality we've taken a journey that the Bible says we shouldn't take. We we believed that we're going to arrive at a utopian end that is not going to happen. Our societies are fragmenting. Violence is on the increase. Incivility is on the rise. We're going bankrupt. In every conceivable way, we're going bankrupt as a country and as a society. And there's, there's there comes a time when people, maybe like Mayor Adams, I don't know his background, but he seems to have a, a church background, just realize that what was so wrong with God that we threw him away? Where did, he, where, did he, where did he fail us? What did he tell us as a nation that somehow was deficient? So we thought we could be smarter than God and just throw all this away, and somehow we're going to arrive at this utopian end, which realistically they thought in Paul's day they were going to arrive at as well until the ship started to go down. It's, it's simple. When we start crying out to God, he'll answer us. It's not that's not get complicated when moms and dads that are listening now and, and, and just rank and file folks go to your bedroom tonight and say, God, help us, you know, just start crying out because he came to Moses and he said, I've heard the cry. God, I believe, is waiting for the cry. And when he hears it, watch what's going to happen in our schools and colleges and our football stadiums and with our mayors. So there'll be a sudden turning. There's no you can't explain it apart from God is behind
1: it. That was going to be my question. In light of this, what should we be doing as Christians? And I I think not listening to the voices of those that are decrying this violation of separation of church and state and even attacking one of their own because he's crossed this line of invoking a need for God. What I have found in my time in the public sphere is that whatever they're attacking most, is probably the answer. And when we see them attacking God, prayer and a return to him, that should be a clear indication that that's where we need to go. All throughout history, Tony, there have been the the godless
5: rise up and try to take authority and try to take power. These people hate God. They want no restrictions on their behavior. That's the bottom line of the whole thing. They want to live life the way they want to live it. They want to have any kind of a sexual dysfunction that they can, they can conjure up in their minds, and they want it all to be called good. They don't want any standards that put restrictions on their behavior, and they want all of society to agree with them and all of our kids to be brought into this this uh, corrupted fold, may I call it that. But for those of us who know God and have a sense of morality uh, no matter what kind of a church background people have, it's really time to pray. That, uh, Mayor right. Adams said it's time to pray. Let's keep it simple. Pastor it's Carter,
1: I got 30 seconds. Pray for us. All right.
5: Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we, we, we call out to you, Lord. God, I don't know what else to do. We call out for the sake of our children, for the sake of our families, our homes, our society, our our towns, our communities. My God, even the future of this country. For future governance in this country, we call out to you, God, and we ask you to do, Lord Jesus Christ, what only you can do. We're not ashamed of you. We know you're the truth. We know you're the way, and we know life comes only from you. God Almighty, God Almighty, bring again this wall down and throw this whole godless agenda into the sea and give us a moment of mercy. We ask it in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Pastor Carter, thanks for joining us. Blessings. And, folks, thank you for joining us. And until next time, you know what the Apostle Paul says when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.